Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregg. We're from tolovehonorandvacuum.com, where we like to talk about how to make marriage a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. And I am joined in my closet, again, by Rebecca. We are we are recording in the closet because, again, it is like the best sound in my house. Yep. And, you know, I keep saying to get my office ready, but <laughs> I do have a one-year-old. And anyone who has had a one-year-old and has two parents working from home will understand. Priorities have to be... Reevaluate. Yes. So there we go. Now, now this month on the blog in November, we are talking about emotional maturity and we're going to talk about that in the podcast next week. Yes. But this podcast <laughs> is actually in response to a podcast a few weeks ago that I recorded on my own, which was a mistake. Because had I recorded it with you, I, I would probably... have caught a lot of the issues that people yes. were mad with. But I, I told a story about a situation that I that I went through when I was 18, which I felt bordered on abuse and which showed some dynamics that I thought were really important mm-hmm. for women who are walking through abuse to understand. Yeah. And I thought, th- I thought the story illustrated it really well. And sometimes it's like a snapshot story will illustrate something better than like the sum total of a complete relationship. Because yeah. this wasn't, this wasn't a relationship situation. It was just a one thing. But I told the story wrong and I ended up muddying the waters tremendously. And so we ended up taking that podcast down because I didn't think that it was it was telling appropriately what I wanted it to tell. Although then many people were upset that I took it down because they really liked it. So we, we, we really had people on, on both sides, which again, had I had you on, you would have caught it. Maybe. I mean, you never know. I say <laughs> stupid stuff. So, so. Uh, so I want to revisit it. I don't want to tell the story again because I don't want to muddy the waters again and, and cause the same problems that were caused before. But I do want to say the points mm-hmm. that I made and, and summarize some of those things because those were important. Important. Yeah. And we can give maybe some some better examples to help show. Yes, yeah. yes. So basically, what we were referring to was a situation, again, I'm not telling the whole story, I'm just telling the end of it, <laughs> where I was really raged at and yelled at in public um, mm-hmm. by, by a guy when I was 18. And this caused so much shame in me. I felt like I had done something really wrong. And I then went around asking everyone who had seen this situation and apologizing profusely and trying to mend the situation when really this wasn't something that I was supposed to mend. Yeah. And that's that's what we were trying to get at. And the reason that I chose that story was because I had done something wrong as well. Mm-hmm. And it led to what happened, but that doesn't mean it was that I deserved what happened. Yeah. But it did trigger some things. And I wanted to tell that story because usually when someone is being abused, they blame themselves because they can point to things that they did as well. And so that's why I chose that story. But instead, what happened was it all blew up and people told me that I deserved it and that I was really the abusive one. So. (laughs) Which is ridiculous. But we're not going to retell the story. But I do. But I do want to say something. We shouldn't have to tell our stories perfectly in order to be believed or empathized with or sympathized with. No. I'm 50 years old. And I told a story that happened to me when I was 18. So this is this is 32 years ago. Uh, it was it was not in a romantic relationship. It was not with someone that I still have contact with or even that I knew very well at the time. This was a situation that I was actually quite emotionally distant from. Mm-hmm. So this was not an emotional story for me. And yet even then I didn't tell the story well. And because I didn't tell the story well, people piled on me. Yeah. Imagine if you are married to an abuser 
And you're trying to get help. But you're also someone who's very aware of what you've done wrong in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And you and you go in and you're tentative. You're not even sure if you're being abused or not. And so you go to these, like, advocate groups. You go to your church. You say, I mean, like, he yells at me and he screams at me and he calls me names. And I'm just, I get so scared when he does that. But I know that I do things that mm-hmm. egg him on. And I know that he gets frustrated when I talk to my mom late at night instead of spending time with him. And so when I do that, then, you know, I could just care about him more and I could be more of a more self like I'm just a selfish wife and that's why he gets so mad at me right like can you imagine it it, you need to be able to go to people and say hi this person treated me badly and no matter what I did I didn't deserve that you know like I have had many friends in my life who've been in abusive relationships Mm -hmm. and I can think of two different people just off the top of my head who have gone to either abuse advocates or churches or the like and who have said, you know, I, I'm in a bad place and I don't know what to do. And they didn't know they're being abused yet. But mm-hmm. because they were honest about their own shortcomings, the church immediately said, well, obviously you're just being selfish. Haven't you thought about how your boyfriend might be thinking about this? Like, Mm -hmm. of course he needs time with his guy friends. Like, of course he doesn't want to spend all of his time with you. Whereas what's actually happening is he's keeping her holed up in his apartment alone for hours on end, making sure she doesn't go outside of the house Mm -hmm. so that he can go hunting with his buddies. Mm -hmm. And she asked for him to come home and he rages at her, punches a hole in the wall because Mm -hmm. she's so controlling. Right. And this is the thing. What we need to listen to when someone is coming to you saying, this happened to me, listen to how they interpreted the situation more than the details that they're sharing. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes the details that they share, they're not telling them perfectly. Yeah. And especially for women who are currently being abused, their Mm -hmm. abuser is very, very good at making them believe that they are the problem. And so they're going to be so apologetic a lot of the time when they come asking for help because a lot of them don't know that they're being abused. They don't want to admit they're being abused if they do know, or Mm -hmm. they're scared of the reality of if they are abused, what happens next? Mm -hmm. You know, let's please find some solution. That means I don't need to deal with this big thing. Right. You know, it's, it's, you're in a horrible situation. So if a woman comes to you and is able to list all of her faults, is able to see everything that she did wrong, is Mm -hmm. trying to fix it and is desperate to find some way to fix it. And she has this boyfriend or husband or just even a person in her life who is constantly tearing her down and constantly telling her what she's doing wrong or acting in a way that is completely inappropriate, even if it was provoked, is -hmm. completely inappropriate. Your job is not to say, well, maybe you aren't the perfect victim. Yeah. Like, maybe you're not perfect enough to be a victim. Yeah. Because you can be a victim if you're not perfect. <laughs> yeah. You really can, you know? And abusers are so good at teaching you that unless you are perfect, you deserve what happens to you. And that is not the case. And again, I have seen this with too many of my friends to allow mm-hmm. this to keep happening. Because abuse advocates cannot tell people, unless you are perfect, you are not abused. Okay? Yeah. And not all form of mistreatment is abuse. Yeah, and then you're getting into what happened with me was that, again, I don't know how to tell us without telling the story, but I really don't want to tell the story again because we'll just get into the same arguments. But a lot of abuse advocates were telling me that I was actually the one who was abusive in this situation. Yeah. Even though I had said that he had been raging at me, you know, standing over me, his face was turning red completely yelled and belittled me in in this crowd of people. And I have a very similar story from that I've heard from a person I can tell. Okay, why don't you do that? I know a woman who was dating a man who she jokingly one day 
called him fat and swatted his tummy. Because he's just a pudgier. He was pudgier, dude. And she's like, ah, you getting fat there? And swatted his tummy. And he leapt up out of his chair, went over top of her, screamed, and made her apologize, made her grovel at his feet. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. Yeah, that's horrendous. actually a very similar story to the one I told. Yes. I just told it wrong, and it yeah. made it sound worse than it was. So she yeah. hit him. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> she hit him. That was not abuse. Yeah. It was not abuse. It mm-hmm. was mean. Mm-hmm. And so that's why she didn't believe that she was being abused in that situation. Yeah. and Because and so, she listened to people who said, because you did something wrong, you can't be a victim. Yeah. And this, is, and this is the issue, is that people often don't tell their stories well, because when people are seeking help, they're often very confused. Yeah. And they've been trying so hard to fix their marriage or their relationship or whatever it is. They've been told by this person that they're the one at fault. And yet no matter what they do, they can't make it better. And so they're really confused as to as to what they should do now. And when they tell their story, they're probably not telling it properly. Yeah. They're and I want to be not telling it perfectly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm obviously very fired up and mad here. I actually like, we're fine. Like the mom was not permanently scarred by no, 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 her no. situation. I'm mad because of my friends who have been personally harmed by being told and by seeing online people saying, well, because you did one thing wrong, your abuse wasn't, couldn't have been that bad or it wasn't real. Or maybe mm-hmm. you actually abused that person by making them abuse you. Yeah. It's like, no, you cannot make someone abuse you. Yeah. And it, you can't, and it doesn't matter uh, what you did. If you did not abuse Mm Because, again, making a mistake, mistreatment is not abuse. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah, I want to read to you something from um, Kevin Giles' book, The Headship of Men and the Abuse of Women. A really good book about gender dynamics, how we see marriage, how that's related to abuse. And he goes into a big discussion in it about the difference between abuse and sometimes just the normal things that happen between couples, which which is wrong and yes. bad and, and not great. Like, dysfunction. you know, you shouldn't do it. Dysfunction. D- but for instance, like what studies have found is that women are just as likely or almost as likely to slap, hit, you know, as as men are. And so a lot of men's rights groups have said, therefore, women are just as abusive as men. Yeah. And so you can't trust women victims when they come and say they've been abused right. because they might have been abusing their husbands. Right. Here's how Lundy Bancroft describes it. And, and um, Kevin Jaws quotes him here. He says, I reserve the word domestic abuse for situations of control and intimidation. Mm-hmm. And so when when someone is being abused, whether it's verbally, physically, financially, sexually, or whatever, what's really happening, it's, it's, it's not the act itself necessarily that's the key thing. It's whether or not the person is controlling or being intimidating. Now, obviously, there are some acts that you should never do. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, this is why it's hard to talk about this stuff, because there's always all these caveats, right? There's something about the power dynamics. Like, okay, for instance, like for me in my marriage, right? Like what I'm very, very ticklish. So obviously, you get into tickle fights and stuff. And I'm like, just pounding. <laughs> like, I'm just pounding on Connor, like, stop, stop. And I'm and I can't hurt him if I tried. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Because he's so much stronger than me. Whereas mm-hmm. if he punched me once, he could land me in the ER. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if I punched him to the jaw, I don't think I could do much. Yeah. And that's the problem is we get into these discussions where, like, like a lot of domestic abuse advocates have taken uh, zero's tolerance for any physical violence. Which is Which, which is, is good. good. But then what's happening is they don't seem to be able to make judgments about what's happening in an individual situation because not all hitting is equivalent. And this is what men's rights groups actually often do is they will point to the stats that say that women are just as likely to slap or hit or pull hair or whatever it might be and say, therefore, women are just as abusive. But they ignore the stats that show that women are 
astronomically more likely to end up in the ER. Yeah. And so there's a huge difference here. And power dynamics really do matter. Okay, third point, we're going to move on here. Mm -hmm. Just because someone isn't a perfect victim does not mean that they deserved what happened to them. Yes. Just because you triggered someone's reaction does not mean that you caused that. Okay, when someone reacts inappropriately, out of proportion, whatever it might be to something that you did, it's not your fault. Yep. We know that abusers tend to have been abused themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, kids who are abused are more Mm -hmm. likely to grow up to abuse. Does that mean that they get to abuse later? Mm -hmm. No! Yeah, because what a lot of people are telling me is that obviously something that I did triggered this guy's rage. Yeah. And probably he had been abused in the past and... And I had triggered this and didn't I understand this? And, you know, I think they're probably right. Like looking mm-hmm. back over that situation, I think I did. I think he must have been abused. I mean, I don't know. But it, it was such a bizarre mm-hmm. situation. And so out of it was just bizarre. And I've never had someone turn like a 180 like that before. Mm-hmm when I thought we were just joking around and all of a sudden this. And just because someone has triggers and just because someone has hurts does not mean that if you hit those triggers, you deserve it. No, not at all. Because, and please hear me, if you are in a marriage where your husband is deeply wounded mm-hmm. and he might be deeply wounded and you might have great empathy for him, he might have gone through a terrible childhood. He may have had terribly addictive parents who abused him as well. And you can see that he's really a good guy underneath all of that. But sometimes you forget what he's gone through and sometimes you say things thoughtlessly or you're super tired and you say these off the cuff remarks and he totally blows up and you should have known not to trigger him. It's not your fault just because he has wounds and you touch those wounds. That does not mean that you deserve to have him treat you that way. No. What needs to happen in that situation is that he is confronted for his woundedness and he is now put in a situation where he has to do something about that. Yeah. Like the onus needs to be put back on him to change. And what often happens in abusive dynamic relationships is that the person who is the recipient of the rage or the hitting or the whatever the control and manipulation might be, they're the ones who feel like they have to change. Mm-hmm. Because they're the ones who are carrying around this deep shame. When you get yelled at, you do feel great shame. You do feel like you must have done something awful. Mm-hmm. I must be a terrible person. I've, I talked to a woman recently who's like over 70. <laughs> so she's she's lived a long time on this earth. And she's a very wise person. But she was yelled at for the first time in her life recently by someone that she's known for a long time. And she just said the situation took her so completely by surprise. You know, and even though she's had difficult relationships in the past, nothing like this had ever happened to her before. And it really threw her and really brought up all kinds of emotions. And it was very damaging. And I think that we dismiss how damaging rage can be. The difference between rage and just anger is that rage, you lose control of yourself. Like rage, when someone is raging at you, you start feeling Mm -hmm. if they had a knife, I might die. Yeah. Like, that's what rage means. Mm -hmm. Like, when we say someone was yelling in a rage, we don't mean they were like, hey, that was me and I didn't like that, you terrible poop head. That's not what we mean. (laughs) We mean is like, you fear for your life or your well-being or Mm -hmm. you're just, you're you're put in this fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. And it's horrible. It is dehumanizing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've been yelled at a lot in my life. Yeah. <laughs> no one's surprised. And I've yelled. I've yelled. I mean, you even talk about that and why I didn't rebel. Yeah. You know, yelling is a problem that I had as a parent. So did my husband. Yeah. But the only time I've ever felt in a fight or flight response when I've been yelled at was that time when I was 18. Yeah. And honestly, when you guys yelled at us when we were kids, we didn't feel like yeah. that. Because there is a difference There's between a difference. yelling and rage and, and abusive anger where you're really raging at someone. You carry that shame mm-hmm. because it's so over the top. You feel like I must have done something awful to deserve this. Mm-hmm. And even though intellectually you may know that's not true, because of that fight, flight, or, or freeze response, you internalize it and you do feel a lot of shame and then you go around trying to fix the problem. And so we just want to reassure you that even if you did something to trigger an mm-hmm. abusive response, that doesn't mean it's on you. You know, in Love and Respect, they gave an example where a woman had been physically abused and had kicked the husband out of the house and then he had repented. And so she had welcomed him back in. And Emerson Egbert seemed to portray this like it was a good thing to do. Yes, of course. If your husband is physically abusive and he repents, do not let him back in the house. No. He needs he needs to show over a long amount of time that he is trustworthy. Yeah. And he needs to show it not to you, but to respected counselors, because you guys should have very little contact while he is working on this, because him working on this should not be about you. It should be about him getting right with himself and with God. And only when he changes because he wants to be a better person, not just because he wants to get back together with you you, should you even consider reconciliation? And even then you need to be extremely wise. So just because someone says, oh, it's okay, I made it up with God and I'm sorry, does not mean they get back into the house. And it doesn't mean that they're more spiritual or more Christian than you because they're willing to get back into marriage and relationship and you're still wary. That is called wisdom and discernment. Yes. It is not (laughs) called doubt or a lack of faith. Yes. And or lack of forgiveness, which is yes. often what you're call, what you're accused of. Okay, we should not rush forgiveness. I have a great post on that. I will yeah. put the link in the podcast post that goes along with this. And podcast. also remember that if you are abused, even if your abuser decides that they're going to change their life, you do not owe them anything. Mm-hmm. They already broke the marriage covenant. Like, if you say, you know what, I'm really glad that you want to get right with God, but I can never trust you again because of how you treated me, you are allowed to say that. Mm -hmm. You know, even if your abuser becomes a wonderful person, Mm -hmm. if you just can't trust them, then don't. Yeah. Then don't. That's the natural consequence of their actions. Yeah. And they were the one who broke that marriage covenant. Yeah. So, okay. So anyway, so Emerson Egrich says, you know, he repented. And so he was allowed back into the house. And then for the next two pages, he talks about how she needed to learn to respect him so as not to provoke his anger. Then he's still an abuser. Yeah, which means he's still an abuser. And that's the problem with abusive relationships. It's often not that every single day there's abuse. Right. It's that you have like four months where it's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, and everything, and he's happy, and you're going on dates, and it's nice, and you feel loved, and, and you think everything mm-hmm. can be okay, and then you get kind of com- like comfortable, and so you slip, and you do the thing that he doesn't want you to do, and then all of a sudden everything's horrible again, and it's so obviously your fault, quote unquote, because everything mm-hmm. was okay until you did that one thing. Yeah. You know, it's not your fault if you can't do normal things without him mistreating you. Mm-hmm. or dehumanizing you, or trying to strip you of your rights or mm-hmm. your freedom. That's just not okay. Mm-hmm. You should be able to do normal things. Yeah. And make normal mistakes. Yes, that's that's part of doing normal things. Because, you know, what I did was I made a normal mistake. Yeah. And lots of people make normal mistakes. 
they they joke around when they don't realize that something mm-hmm. is an extremely sensitive issue. Yeah. They get a little bit too physical or aggressive without meaning to, like the swatting the stomach, you know? <laughs> they make fun of someone for something that they think is quirky and they don't realize this is a it's huge... A deep-seated insecurity. A deep-seated insecurity. You know, a lot of us do things, and or we're super sarcastic. Now, should we be sarcastic? No. Should we tease people? No. <laughs> you know, but we do make normal mistakes. So I'm not saying they're not mistakes. Yeah. But I am saying that just because you made a mistake does not mean that therefore you deserve to be the victim of of rage or abuse. Or that you're not able to have been abused because you made a mistake. It's not, Jesus is not the only person who's allowed to be like an abuse victim. Yes. You know, like. Mm -hmm. Just because you're not perfect does not mean that you are not abused. And let's remember, please, that the vast majority of abuse victims do blame themselves. Mm -hmm. That's why abuse victims don't leave. It's one of the big things counselors have to work with is uh, helping you see it wasn't your fault. You didn't deserve this. That's one of the biggest battles in counseling Mm -hmm. is saying you didn't cause this to happen. If you had been a better person, he still would have been an abuser. You know, it just would have been hidden better. Yeah. When we were doing our focus groups after our survey of 20,000 women that um, we put together for our book, The Great Sex Rescue, which is now available for pre-order. And let me just say, can I just say just for a minute, it helps us so much when you pre-order. Yes. It affects how many books the publisher publishes. It affects Amazon rankings. It affects how much money the publisher puts into marketing, because if they know there's a big demand for this book, then they're going to do more for it. So our book will go further if you pre-order. So if you know you're going to get it anyway, please pre-order The Great Sex Rescue. It's out March 2nd. If you're interested in being part of the launch team, we'll put information in the podcast description on how you can how you can do that as well. But please help us with that because it really does help us. But anyway, in our focus groups for The Great Sex Rescue, we were talking to a number of women who had been victims of sexual violence in their yeah. marriage. And I remember one particular story that we, that we did put in the book. She didn't even realize that she had been raped until her divorce proceedings when her lawyer was able to repeat back to her what happened and said, you know, that's rape, right? Mm-hmm. And no, she didn't know it was rape. And it was obvious. Yeah. Like yeah. running and locking doors behind her that her husband would break down. Curling up in a ball. It was it was really bad. Yeah. But because she'd been told at church that you're not allowed to deprive your husband and because the husband told her that he wasn't allowed mm-hmm. to deprive her and because the husband was telling her all the things that she was doing wrong as a wife. She didn't realize she was a victim of of rape. And so please understand when women come to you talking about how confused they are in their relationships and how they don't know how to make their marriage better and they start explaining things, often our tendency is to say, do you know his love language? Yeah. Or maybe you guys just need more date nights. And we treat things like they're normal marriage problems. When they're not. When they're not. And it's really important when you're listening to a woman's story to understand that most abuse victims do not realize they're being abused. What they're doing instead is they're desperately searching for ways to fix their marriage. And they know often that they're the only ones who are going to change. Yeah. And so what they come to you with is a list of things they've done wrong. Yeah. That's often what happens. Because they're trying to find the one magic thing that they can do that will make their husband stop treating them this way. A woman named Natalie Hoffman runs an abuse survivors group called Flying Free Now. And she's an abuse advocate for for Christian women who have been in abusive marriages. And she wrote an amazing article two years ago that went quite viral after sitting through a sermon at her church where her minister was talking about how terrible divorce was. 
She wrote him afterwards and said, here's what all the, the women in your church who are currently in abusive marriages heard. Because we don't always understand that when we say stuff, abused people are hearing it through a completely different lens. And if we do not leave room for the fact that abused people are listening to what we're saying as well, then our, our advice is awful. So I want to I want to read to you part of what she said. It was a great article. I'm going to link to the whole thing in the podcast post. So please read it. It's a really good article, but I'm just going to read one of her points. And there were several. She said, You taught them from the book of Jude that when people get tired of their marriages, they want to change. So rather than staying committed, they decide to do it their own way. They say, I'll be my own authority. And they discard their marriages in pursuit of their own selfish desires. When you said that, 100 women who are regularly begging God for mercy on their bathroom floors, begging God to end their lives so they can find relief, experienced paralyzing terror and despair. They may have even heard from an abuse hotline or secular counselor, because Bible counselors tend to re-abuse them, so they do eventually find real help from the secular culture, which is more educated about abuse dynamics, that they should get to a place of safety. But they love Jesus. They're committed in ways most folks can't fathom, and they are far from being selfish. They've sacrificed everything on the altar of marriage. Their girlhood dreams of being in a safe, loving relationship, their careers, their desire to use their gifts and skills, and they know that if they were to stand up and tell the truth about their marriage, they would be accused of being selfish, of doing it their own way, of being their own authority. They believe they are earmarked for a lifetime of abuse. Why? Because God says so. It is his will for them. If they were to rebelliously believe otherwise, they would be accused of not knowing God. Mm -hmm. That's what happens when in our marriage advice and when we talk about marriage, we don't remember that there are people who are being abused who are listening to us. One of the points that I brought up in the last podcast that was really important, and a woman said, I know that you took the podcast down, but it was that point that I really wanted to share with a friend, and can you please make it again? And so I do want to make it. When people are in really destructive marriages, and they don't realize they're being abused, or maybe they realize it, but they feel trapped, what they do is they seek out help. Yeah. They are desperate for help. And I shared how when I was the victim of rage, I went around and asked all these people what I should do to make this relationship better and to get reconciled. Because that's what you do. You seek out help to fix the situation. When you're the one who's abused, you take responsibility for it because you feel the shame of it. Mm-hmm. And so you take responsibility for trying to fix it. And what do you do in a church situation? That means you go to women's Bible studies. Yes. <laughs> you go to marriage Bible studies. You go to small groups. You go to women's retreats. And of course, you buy marriage books. Yeah. We need to understand that women who are in difficult and abusive marriages are far more likely to read marriage books, to go to women's Bible studies than women who are not, (laughs) because they're desperate for some help. And that's where they're looking. And so when marriage books don't say, hey, you know, Letting someone back into the house just because they've repented is a bad and dangerous idea. Yeah. They hurt women. And that's why Love and Respect was rated one of, well, the most harmful resource by the women in our surveys. Because it didn't allow for any kind of help for women who had been abused. It just simply told them you need to go and take it. You need to respect him no matter what he does. Even if he's got withering rage so much that you need to get away and hide, you need to instead stop that and just respect him. Mm -hmm. 
And that's really dangerous. And so please understand if you are running a women's small group, if you are running a women's book study, if you are asking people to read marriage books, understand that there are likely people in your group who are currently going through an abusive situation in their marriage. And you probably don't see it because most abusers look amazing on the outside and they're more likely to be there. And so we need to always, always, when we're talking about this stuff, remember that it's not about love languages for a lot of people. (laughs) It isn't about having more date nights. It isn't about having more sex. It's about getting to the root of the relationship. And that's why, you know, it's funny. I'm not an abuse advocate. Like, no, I mean, I, I, I feel for the abuse, but but my blog is not about abuse. My blog is mostly about sex and marriage. But I find myself continually coming back to topics about abuse because people end up on my blog desperately searching for ways to fix their marriage. And they don't realize they're being abused often. They're not able to put those things in words. But as I am able to share what marriage is supposed to look like, then they're able to put words to it and then they can find the abuse advocates who can help them. So many people have told me they found Leslie Vernick and Natalie Hoffman and Sarah McDougal from us. (laughs) And we will put links to those three people in particular because I really like all of them. Gretchen Baskerville's Life Saving Divorce is also really good. Okay, so four. I will put links to all four in the podcast post. Like I said, I'm not an abuse blog. I don't Mm -hmm. ever plan on becoming an abuse blog. But what I am very passionate about is I want to make sure that if people People who are being abused end up on my blog, they're able to recognize that even though we just released an orgasm course about (laughs) how to have orgasms, if you're not having orgasms, I want you to know (laughs) that the answer may not be the orgasm course if you're being abused. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we need to be able to distinguish between what's a normal marriage issue and what's not a normal marriage issue. And if it's not a normal marriage issue, we really want you to get the help that you need. Totally. This brings me to my final point which is really important. Dynamics tell the bigger picture, which needs to be paid attention to. We often focus on what happened, okay? Who did what, what exactly was done, et cetera. What we need to be focused on instead is, is a question of who. And it's this, who is the one who is walking on eggshells? Yep. Who is the one who is constantly apologizing? Who is the one who is trying to change their behavior? Who is the one who is searching for solutions? Mm-hmm. And who is the one who is doing the blaming? Yep. And who is the one being blamed? Yeah. The thing about the dynamic, focusing on dynamics instead of actual particular actions, and there are obviously some actions where no matter what, you get help. Yeah. No matter what. But yep. just like how yelling can sometimes be abusive, sometimes not. Right? Yes. That's where the dynamics comes comes into play. That works for both male and female victims. Mm -hmm. There are so many men who are also victims of domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. There really are. Mm -hmm. And often it's a lot harder to kind of pin down because there are a lot of these different dynamics, you know? But what you're going to see is that one person is the abuse victim, Mm -hmm. walking on eggshells, constantly changing, bending over backwards for their controlling, manipulative Mm -hmm. wife, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And the wife is not ever willing to change anything, never willing to speak 
to, to change what they're doing. Never willing to give their husband yeah. even an inch. Never willing to accept blame for anything. Never. Often you're trying to get the children to act in a certain way so the children don't yep. provoke anything as well. And you know, when, when we don't have physical violence involved, it can be very difficult to it identify abuse. And so that's why looking at these dynamics can actually point a much clearer picture. Yeah. If you are spending your life walking on eggshells so that you don't trigger something, and trying to figure out what it is that does trigger. <laughs> because, you know, some it just seems random sometimes. Like you think you've got all your triggers figured out and then you'll do something and that triggers it too. And so you're constantly trying to figure out what are the triggers. You know, uh-oh, uh, he's, he comes home from work and he looks a little bit aggravated. Maybe it's best to get the kids in bed really early tonight and, you know, make sure that they just go play in their own rooms and they're not around him mm -hmm. so that he doesn't hear any noise. And this goes beyond what's normal. Yeah. You know, and if this is constant, that is a problem. Yeah, like, for example, it's normal for your spouse to say, I just need 20 minutes when they get home from work after yeah. a stressful day. Yeah. That's normal. Yeah. You know, they mm -hmm. go down to the basement, do their thing, go up to their room, do their thing, you know? Yeah. And then they come down and they're part of the family again. Yeah. What's not normal <laughs> is if they don't get that 20 minutes, they scream at the children in an unnecessary manner and mm -hmm. they threaten you. Right. That's not normal. That's right. Not like, normal. so this, the mm -hmm. things, right. It can be really easy though to tell yourself, oh, well, I should have just given him his time or I should have just given her some space. And then my kids wouldn't have been mistreated. Then like she could have been the better mom. Then he could have been a better husband. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> if your ability to be a decent person is compromised, if mm -hmm. your ability to, like, not abuse others is compromised, mm -hmm. that's not normal. That's, yeah. you know, being a bit mm -hmm. more testy, being grouchy, being, you know, just short, mm -hmm. that's, that's normal when you're mm -hmm. stressed. Yeah. You know, if you haven't gotten your time to de-stress. What's not normal is that I'm going to abuse you unless I have 20 minutes to myself. Yep. And especially if that's an ongoing thing. Yes. Because for so many people it is. Like if you find yourself, when you first see your spouse, if your first thought is, what mood are they in? Yeah. That, that's, that's not healthy. Yeah. And sometimes it's abusive. Sometimes it just needs some counseling. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you're just in a bad rut. You know, yep. sometimes you're in an unhealthy situation, mm -hmm. you know, like not every type of immaturity and dysfunction is abuse. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it's better to get the help to make sure even if you aren't abu in an abusive situation yet, it doesn't get there. Yeah, because you know? it can. You know, a lot of marriages don't start off abusive, but 20 years in, they are. Yep. Uh, because often we reinforce abusive patterns and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So get the help you need. You know, in our series on emotional maturity this, this month, we're going to be talking about how to handle emotions properly. We're going to be talking about how to take responsibility for your own emotions and what to do when your spouse doesn't take responsibility for theirs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because a lot, a lot of Christian resources do basically tell women to make up for husband's immaturity. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be dealing with that in a whole separate podcast. I won't get into that too much now. But when we're told that your job is to bolster his ego without him also being told that he needs to be a responsible person. <laughs> you know, like if you just need to tell him he's an amazing person and he's, you just love him and he's doing so amazing, even if he's playing video games for 12 hours a day, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. And so we need to find a different way of, of navigating what it is that it is fair to expect from your spouse. Yep. And how to spur each other on to love and good deeds. Cause that's what Jesus wants for us. You know, I think we focus so much on, 
the fact that, oh, he wants you to be a good wife and he wants you to stay in this marriage and he wants this marriage to succeed. And we don't focus enough on how actually what Jesus wants to do is transform lives. Yeah. You know, he wants the kingdom of heaven to earth. And he wants us to be transformed into the likeness of himself. You know, Romans 8, 29 tells us that. And so when our character is not growing, there's something wrong. And maybe we're focusing on the wrong thing. So this month, as we go into our emotional maturity series, let's do that. But as we wrap up today, I do want to apologize for telling the story badly. (laughs) A few weeks ago, I, I do believe I muddied the water, the waters. I... I really did try to choose a story where I was partly at fault because that's how abuse victims feel. And and so I was trying to, to choose a story that wasn't clear cut, but I think that I just made it worse. <laughs> but I hope that as we've discussed this today, what we can see is that things aren't clear cut. That's the nature of human interaction. And so we really need to look closely at dynamics and please listen. If someone comes to you and they're confused about their relationship, listen to what's going on beneath the surface. And if they feel threatened and scared, even if the way they're telling the story makes you think they have no reason to feel threatened or scared, listen to how they're feeling. Because if they're feeling threatened or scared, there's probably a reason. Yeah. And if you are in a marriage where you feel like everything is always your fault and you are constantly trying to fix things and you just don't know how to make it better and you just feel so hopeless and like everything is always on your shoulders and there's nothing that you can do right and you always see your faults and how badly you're doing and how it's so clear that you wouldn't be mistreated if you could just be a better wife, a better girlfriend, a better mother, whatever mm-hmm. whatever it is. Know that that's not your fault. You don't have to be perfect in order to be treated well. You know, Mm -hmm. you deserve to be with someone who cares for you and who cherishes you, not who uses you and abuses you, okay? Mm -hmm. That's just what I want to say. You don't have to be perfect before you're deserving of proper treatment. Amen. Amen. One thing I would love to talk about some more is how rage affects you. I'm thinking about talking about that more in December because around Christmas holidays, when we talk about extended family, rage often comes up. <laughs> and hey, it's election it's season. It's election year. Rage. <laughs> so let's talk about how rage has affected you. Please join me in the post that goes along with this podcast. I would love to hear some of your comments about that and hear some of your stories. And then those can help us in December as well. So visit us at tolovehonorandvacuum.com. There's always a post with lots of links of some of the things that we've talked about. There'll be a link on how to pre-order our book, a link to some of those abuse websites and and help that I really believe in. And wherever you listen to this podcast, please remember to leave a review and rate it five stars. It helps other people find it. And hey, it helps us feel good too. And it doesn't take that long. So do it. Thanks very much. And we will see you next week. (laughs) 